Hey, this is Matt Johnson and Drew Aspinwall with Ice Team and Clam Outdoors, uh, pumped up to chat with Shields for the Shields podcast, um, all things ice fishing. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Shields Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Mike Anderson, and today we're talking with Ice Team members and Ice Team podcast hosts, Matt Johnson and Drew Aspinwall. If you like ice fishing and haven't checked out their podcast yet, make sure to head to either YouTube or your favorite streaming platform and check that out. They've already had some incredible guests from the legend himself, Dave Gens, to Knock Outdoors that happens to be pro staff from our Eden Prairie location, and they are just getting started. Matt, Drew, thank you for joining us. Can you talk a little bit about this new podcast and what your goal is with it? Sure. Well, thanks for having us on, Mike. Really appreciate it. Uh, ice fishing is starting to become full swing here. We're seeing uh, anglers on the ice, venturing out. Always be safe, of course, as we hit these first ice windows. But yeah, this podcast, you know, we were chatting, I don't know, Drew, probably months ago about oh. ways to get more things going with an ice team. I think it was kind of your idea Originally, to so podcast it up. A couple of years ago when I started with Clam and Ice Team, just getting a grasp on everything, I was like, why don't we have a podcast? Like we have mm-hmm. so many cool people, you know, and we can't, we can't highlight everyone in just the regular content we do, whether it's, you know, story content, uh, video stuff, you know, commercial stuff. Like we just don't have the time to do it. And I was like, we, we got to talk, we got to sit down and talk to these people. And, you know, a few years ago, podcasts were getting really big and we're now we've got to the point where we're like, we just pulled the trigger and we're going all in on it. <laughs> right. No, it's been awesome. You know, I don't know how a podcast works. I know what it is. Uh, Drew knows how they work and what they are. So he kind of came to the table with creative ideas on what we should use for, for you know, microphones and this and setting up lights. And he's been running with it and how to edit it and all this cool stuff. Uh, you know, I, I have the gift of gab. I can talk to the wall for five hours <laughs> if I have to. Uh, I, I'm not good at Drew, I did one podcast on my own. Uh, what two weeks ago and I needed a strong tutorial from Drew so I knew exactly what buttons to push and not to push so I could figure this out and you know I kind of squeaked by by the hair of my teeth but no we got a lot of goals you know we've already talked to a lot of people like you said Mike obviously the one and only Dave Gens uh, Andy Danny and Mal from Knocked Outdoors it was awesome Matt Brewer we talked Red Lake of course such a hot topic you know we've had some new partners on board uh, we've had, um, you know, not, it's not just about our pros. We've, we, you're going to see some members from the Minnesota DNR on board this. You're going to see uh, different people in different walks of the ice fishing world. Uh, we got a pretty, pretty robust list, uh, pretty aggressive list where I think we're actually going to film another one tonight, believe it or not. So we'll be here late. Uh, going to film another one. Uh, later this week, we have another host, Jason Durham. I know you know who he is, Mike. He's been mm-hmm. pretty influential in uh, the ice fishing world. He's an ice team pro. So Jason's another one of the co-hosts that has 
ran with some of these podcasts on his own. We gave him his own set of equipment. Yep. So we we're what, what are we seven seven episodes in already? Seven, yeah, eight's going live tomorrow. Nine will be live this weekend. We're just we're gonna roll out as many as we can. Our our motto is just to keep having content roll out. Yeah, like we. I want the Ice Team podcast to be almost like the encyclopedia for Ice Team members because, like, we have on the website, like, we have bios and stuff about all our pros, but you don't really, you don't really get that one-on-one feeling as you do as if you sit down and talk to someone just right. their bios. And yeah, looking absolutely. back on these, I, I want these to be. I want you to know everything about Chris Grandard, everything about Dave Gens after we talk to him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of this stuff that you've, uh, you know, all this stuff that you said kind of really hits home for me too, because, you know, there's just so much content out there. There's so many things you want to talk about with ice fishing. And, you know, I, I run a lot of the social media stuff and there's, there's only so much you can accomplish with mm-hmm. a post or a, you oh, know, a 30 yeah. second video or a tip or things like that. There's just so much more of a story to tell. And that's, that's, you know, where the podcast platform really comes in. Yeah. And I'd say our goals, like you, like you asked, I'd say it would be obviously education. We're a big believer in tell, not sell. Um, so that's a big one for us is the educational side of it. And then like Drew alluded to the stories, telling these stories, like like when we have Dave Gens on, if you listen to that one, it really wasn't about ice fishing. It, we didn't sit and drill Dave on how he likes to catch his fish and where he's going to go and, and all this. We really drilled on the story of Dave Gens and the story of Chris Granrude and the history of Matt Brewer and how he got involved in fishing. Yeah, there's definitely a heavy fishing theme, though, but that's not the idea. The idea is to dig deep into the vault and get that story out of them. And uh, and I think as we look at the time of year, we do a lot of traveling for ice fishing, right? The average ice angler doesn't just fish in their backyard. They leave the Twin Cities and they go to Lake of the Woods. They leave the Twin Cities and they go to Fargo or Red Lake, right? So we're seeing a, a lot of people listening to these podcasts because of how much traveling they do to fish. The average angler travels to fish. It's just kind of a known fact. And I think they're popping this on and just listening to it. And they're really starting to gravitate towards these stories. And it's kind of funny because I'm learning things about Dave Gens and Grandry that I've never known among everyone else. And I've known some of these guys for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So that's probably our goal is to, like Drew said, keep the content flowing, keep it educational, let you learn some stuff, be entertaining, uh, and, and just and keep that bus moving. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I have to admit, I haven't been able to listen to all of them yet. You know, I, I've listened to a little bit in bits and pieces. Uh, I'm excited for that one with Brewer on Red Lake because I just have the absolute itch to get out there and get fishing on red early ice. It's just so fun out there. Uh, need to listen to the one with Dave Gens and, uh, you know, went through a little bit of the knockout door one. Those guys are, they're characters and, you know, it's just their, their passion and their enthusiasm for ice fishing and just fishing in general, just, just flows out of them so naturally. Yeah. 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 They're diehards. And, you know, it, it, we laughed, I, I think we laughed more at that one, not at that one, in that one than any other one we've done because, you know, they're, they're just funny dudes. And, mm-hmm. and I mean that with all due respect to those guys. They're just humble, entertaining, very pure, lots of integrity, but very funny. Like they just, they're always lighthearted. And I think it's very contagious. Yeah. And I they just built a following 
and that following is growing. And I think because mm-hmm. of that contagious behavior and attitude they have for the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of have a feeling that, you know, not a lot of people really know about them right now. But if you fast forward about five years or so, they're going to be a pretty popular name. We would agree with you on that. Yeah, for sure. We're seeing their their stock go up. I feel like every quarter (laughs) and it's because of their efforts, right? Like those guys work hard. I mean, they were at Eden Prairie Shields Friday and Saturday for the ice fest. And then they were over at the show in Blaine on Sunday. I mean, they just go and go and go and go. And then, and then they're on the river fishing probably the next day. And then they're doing this the next day after that. It's on a ice team Facebook live actually last week. And I didn't even remember we were doing that live until Mal was like, Hey Drew, what's the plan for Wednesday? And I'm like, what's going on Wednesday? We're going live from my house. Yeah. And Andy and Dan, you're coming up. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me about. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's do it. We're going live at eight o'clock. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. So, I mean, so you guys said you, you have seven episodes, you know, as we're speaking right now, we've got a few more in the hopper. What's, yeah. what's your favorite story you've heard so far? You know, I I'll tell mine. So, yeah. In the most recent one we did with Chris Grandrud this last weekend, he talked about a guy who got him into fishing. So when Chris was young, he'd go down to the river in Lake City on the mm-hmm. Mississippi, and he just fell fishing shore, and an old guy there would help Chris fish. He actually introduced him to a hair jig, and just out of the kindness of his heart, every year he would uh, help help Chris, you know, just learn how to catch walleyes, and it kind of had a a sad ending where the guy ended up getting sick. And then the next year, Chris just didn't see the guy anymore. And it really kind of hit home because I actually used to go down to the river from where I grew up and just randomly fish with people. And you kind of get to know people here and there and you never talk to them outside of your time with them on the bank. But I could imagine having someone in my life who, you know, showed you the ropes and then just all of a sudden wasn't there, but you still take their, uh, the lessons that they taught you with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, one thing about fishing. You just kind of, you develop those memories and, you know, you just get certain instances where it like brings you back to those moments. And it's like, you know, you, you might not be with them at that point, but you know, they're always there. Yeah. 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 No, that, that one, that one hits home for sure. And then, and, and, and with, and when you're sitting across from Chris, as he tells the story, you can tell it's like a very important story. Yeah. Like said, and you can tell it means a lot to him to know, like that. That was when he started his fishing. That's what got him hooked, no pun intended, was those moments. Yeah, right before that, he was talking about an an Al Linder story where he was, you know, he learned a lot about Al Linder without ever knowing him, obviously. And then he basically referenced this guy that he met down by the river in the same category as Al Linder. And then he said, well, no one will ever, no one knows who this guy was or what his name was, but the lessons he taught me will be with me just as much as an Al Linder, so to speak. Right. Right. Your word can go a long way, no matter who you are in the fishing mm-hmm. industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then I mean, mine so far is probably less sentimental and more um, entertaining. I I met with, I chatted with uh, Don Cox, who's one of our ice team pros from Nebraska. Uh, we were in Sioux Falls a couple weekends ago, and we did a podcast there, and he had his three boys on. And we talked about just to understand the differences from ice fishing in Nebraska to here in the epicenter of ice fishing in the, in the upper Midwest. But they talked about um, something called tank racing. They would take a cattle tank 
And apparently down in Mullen, Nebraska, it's a big deal. You race each other down these cattle tanks in the river. And, <laughs> okay. and it's, it's, it's pretty wild. And they do two events, one in the summer, which makes perfect sense. And then one in the winter when it's like 20 degrees out. And it sounds absolutely wild um, just to hear some of the stuff that, you know, gets gets them excited in different walks of the world. But but then to hear some of the similarities on the ice fishing side and how they've taken some of those those uh, ice fishing strengths from Nebraska and brought them all over the ice belt as they travel. It's just kind of cool to hear, you know, from a demographic standpoint, the differences but but similarities in ice fishing. Um, so far, we've talked to pros in like four or five different states just in these seven episodes, and we're going to talk to a lot more different states. And there's some dots you can, can connect for sure, and there's definitely some stories where we just can't relate. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's part of the fun, part of the fun about the stories. Yeah, I find it really interesting, you know, different perspectives in different areas. You know, you mentioned like Nebraska, you know, with with me being up by the Fargo, North Dakota area, you know, I'm blessed with a, you know, fairly lengthy ice season. You know, we can get on around, you know, generally around Thanksgiving time and be fishing, you know, sometimes in April, you know. So I got mm-hmm. I got a few solid months that I can fish. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're in Nebraska, you, you maybe get like a month at best. And it's just yeah. to be so dedicated and be so hardcore to be only able to fish for like a month. Like that's, that's kind of hardcore. Yeah. And they said there's years they can't ice fish. They have to travel to do it. Oh, so, yeah, and that, I don't like that Don, would be miserable. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Yeah, but Don, I'll tell you what, he puts on like 10,000 miles a year traveling to ice fish. So mm-hmm. while he is in, in Nebraska and there is some limitations, you'll find Don on <clears throat> Cat Lake Cascade in Idaho You'll find Don on Lake of the Woods. You'll find Don on on a Great Lake. You'll find him out east fishing with Dave Gens when he goes on tour. So even though that's where he lives, I've seen that with some of our hardcore ice anglers in those fringe states, whether it's a Don Cox in Nebraska, you know, a Todd Todd in Illinois. They put on the miles to stay on ice and go ice fishing because this is truly their passion. Um, but I also know that when they get ice, the fishing's like world class. Oh, like I their bluegills that. are bigger, their panfish are bigger, their everything's better and bigger. So, you know, when they do get the opportunity to ice fish, I mean, I, the one son was telling us a story about his first bluegill he ever caught. He was six years old. It was eleven and a quarter inches long. Oh, that's a tanker. That's the first bluegill <laughs> he ever caught in his life. He was wow. six years old on on a lake in the Sand Hills, Nebraska. He went fishing with his dad, Don. And he caught an 11 and a quarter inch bluegill. And now at six years old, a kindergartner, that was his first bluegill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's never topped it since. Yeah. I can't and imagine. He's, like, like... he's grown and gone. He's like 25. He's <laughs> nice. never topped his he first might... bluegill he's ever caught in his he life. He might time. spend his whole life and never top that. Yeah. That is a wild story in itself. So yeah, we've had some really good conversations and I know we're going to have a bunch more tonight. We're, talking with the crappie chronicles um those guys are an absolute hoot they have kind of walked it and they're only in their 20s uh well griff i think might be in his 30s but um so we got some really good stuff coming down the pipeline i know listeners are going to want to tune in on i mean we got mm-hmm. just so many cool people that we're involved with like obviously we're hitting some of our bigger names but i know we'll get to a 
there, I think we could have a podcast with almost every single member of Ice Team and not even have a good story. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Everyone has their own story when it comes to fishing yep. in the outdoors. So, all right, I got a, I got a question for you. So, past or present, who would be your dream guest on the podcast? Past or present? Dream guest. Um, it would be it would be really fun to have like a. I look at like a Tony Dean, right? Like one of some of these pioneers on television that have, you know, the, obviously Tony's passed away, but I remember watching his show as a kid and obviously Jason Mitchell has taken that and, and ran with it, you know, but something like that, someone that I remember as a kid, I mean, obviously the, the easy ones are the Al Linders and stuff like that, but I think it'd be great to, to listen to a, a Tony Dean. Um, some of these people that kind of pioneered media, uh, would be neat, um, but uh, I, I would like to have a current day Dave Gens and like a Dave Gens from like started. forty years ago. Oh, that would be pretty yeah, cool. Talk to each other, you know, is it, yeah, just like blast into the past yeah, and like to to know like what was running through his mind forty years ago, not having the information we have right now. And yeah. then fast forward to today, I think yeah. that would be a, a really cool conversation. Yeah, I don't think, just <laughs> I don't think young Dave Gens would. Well, maybe he'd believe where everything's at <laughs> nowadays, but I mean, it still probably blows his mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he has truly revolutionized all aspects of ice fishing, and that is a great uh, a great thought. I'd be intrigued on that too because what Dave's accomplished in the last forty years. I mean, he's. He's the goat, right? I mean, it's and and it's the, the truth. It, it's crazy what he's done for the sport of ice fishing. And yeah, you look back forty years ago when the guy was sewing stuff up in his garage and yeah. trying to find ways to make nickels, you know, to pay bills. And now he's the the godfather of ice fishing. He's Mister Ice Fishing. There's only one person that has that title, and it's him. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'd be so fun to do tech talk with him. Like 40 Mm -hmm. years ago, he's all excited about this stick with a couple of prongs that he can wrap some line (laughs) around. And then all of a sudden you're like, would you believe if I told you about forward facing sonar where we can see 150 (laughs) feet in front of us anywhere in the water column, just like mind blowing there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a, we're actually going to have Shields on as a guest too at some point here. So, you know, we got some, we got some good partners that are going to be on involved in our podcast at some point down the road. Yeah. I know that uh, that's already been kind of uh, the cakes in the oven on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got some talk in the works. Hopefully, hopefully the, the one special guest we can make happen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to blurt anything out here on the podcast, but you know, if it does happen, it's definitely going to be must, must watch or must listen. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I have to give my, my guest to my dream guest. So this, this one's going to be from the past and, you know, with, with the Shields Outdoors podcast, you know, it's, it's all aspects of the outdoors, hunting, fishing, grilling, whatever. I would love to have Teddy Roosevelt on the podcast wow. just oh, yeah. to be able to go back there and to get his perspectives and the things that he saw when he was out there and, you know, all these initiatives and the public land stuff, I think that would be just incredible. Yeah. That would be wicked. He, uh, ahead of his time. True. Yeah. True outdoorsman too. Right. Like anyone that studied Teddy, I mean, he lived in the outdoors. 
Mm-hmm. Like that was an, 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 amount, an immense passion of his was to hunt and fish and do all that. And yeah, it would be interesting to hear his take on things for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So think, uh, one thing too, Mike, you said the Shields podcast is all aspects of the outdoors. I think we can relate a lot to that with the ice team podcast because all of our ice team members, yeah, they're on the ice in the winter, but I mean, they all just wrapped up their hunting season. Like I feel like every episode we've touched on hunting and they do things 365 days a year in the outdoors too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Chris Grant, who we talked this weekend and his wife, Kelly, who's usually on every single show. Um, she's phenomenal at selling and talking to people and whatever. She wasn't at the show because she was hunting. So Chris was like, I'm, I'm like, where's Kelly at? And he's like, well, someone's got to put food in the table. He's like, she's up north hunting still. So uh, it's pretty funny to hear how, how important hunting is, to Drew's point, um, to our ice anglers. You know, not just open water fishing, which obviously is probably the easiest tie-in, but hunting and all that kind of stuff. And you mentioned cooking. We're all obsessed with cooking and eating. So, it, you know, it does all kind of fall, fall under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to shift gears here a little bit. You know, I mean, I've got ice team members on. I, I got to talk some fishing and some tips and some stuff. I, I feel like it would be do the I'd be doing the listeners an injustice if I didn't do that. So um, I just like to hear your thoughts on how to set yourself up for success this early ice season. Yeah, I mean, I would always start with. I always think it's cliche, but it's it needs to be hammered on is, is obviously the safety side of things. I mean, I've already seen on social media, a few different posts where people have fallen in already this year. Right. And, and I mean, some of these areas, Mike, we're, we don't have walkable ice yet. Right. We just don't, it's not there. Yeah. There's some spots that do, but all lakes are not considered equal. Right. Cause one lake across the street's walkable does not mean the one across the street is. So I think you always should practice safety. And I always tell people to go with a buddy, have a float suit, have your ice picks, have your throw rope, have all your necessary precautions, spud bar out. So I think, you know, you know, one big key to success at early ice is obviously to be safe. I always tell people too, like you may sacrifice your favorite body of water so that you can enjoy early ice, meaning your favorite body of water might not be ready, but the pond down the street that has maybe some mediocre bluegills is. So I think your key to success in my opinion at early ice is to be adaptive, to be you know, be willing to change your plans uh, if, if your end game is to make sure you get out fishing and you get out safe, you know. And then from there, I mean, to be successful early ice, you got to find spots where you can walk to. So you want to do your homework. Drew and I did a good video that we put on the Ice Team YouTube page about doing your homework. And a lot of your homework happens before you hit the ice, right? It's, it's the stuff you do on the couch. It's your network with buddies. It's your topography maps. It's studying the lakes. It's studying where you want to go. Okay, this is going to be a short walk to where we think is productive fishing. And it's going to be on a shallow, isolated bay that probably has better ice. So we're going to do our homework so that success can maybe mean that we caught some fish. And we didn't just get out there and punch some holes and say, hey, that was cool. We got on the ice. So I think you want to do your homework and make sure you study it up. And then you want to make sure you pack light. Mm -hmm. Because we are going to be walking out more than likely your very first trip out spud bar, maybe a one person fist trap with as light a gear as possible, just a small buddy heater, maybe a couple of rods, your Vexlar, uh, and away you go. So I think those are some keys to success at early ice is doing your homework, being lightweight, and obviously practicing ice safety. 
Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, you might not be able to get onto your favorite lake, but you know, you can, you can also look at that from a different lens as an opportunity. You know, the stuff you mentioned about learning and studying topography and things like that. And, you know, that can just make you a better fishing fisherman and, you know, more adaptable to certain situations. Say they're not biting on your favorite lake, then, okay, I've learned how to be successful in different ways, in different areas. I would say for me, early ice success would a little different, a uh, little different path here. But I would say I would I'd like to fish a lake or a body of water that actually is kind of an easier bite, whether that be in species or just that lake in specific. Because I've had some times where it's early ice and I'm like, oh, me and my buddies are going to go trek through the woods and hopefully find that this pothole has ice on it and that there's actually fish in it. And we go through all that work. We waste an entire day just to find out that there's not even fish back in this lake <laughs> where I could have taken the layup and just gone and smashed the bluegills, you know, and got some momentum to start my year off. But instead I wasted a weekend and have nothing to show for it. Yeah. So like if you could, I don't know, in my opinion, if you could go take the layup sometimes early mm-hmm. ice, it might be worth it because you have more fun. You'll shake the rust off and you won't be stuck there waiting for a maybe a half hour window of a sweet walleye bite that might not even happen. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's definitely something to be said about having a little confidence builder. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence, a little momentum, shake the rust off, you know, make sure, make sure your ice rods are still working and all that stuff. (laughs) So it starts your season off the right way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit of uh, equipment here. So I've got a I've got a short question that's probably going to take a little bit of a long answer. But if you could have only one setup for panfish, what would it be? Walk me through the whole thing, down from like your rod all the way extended to what's on what lure you got. Well, I think anyone that follows me knows the end game on my rod is going to be a Pinhead Pro. Uh, I'm running a one thirty second ounce. That's the new size this year. I just built so many confidence and confidence in that spoon with no bait. So with that, I'm a big new rod guy. I like how it suppresses my jigging cadence. But I also can detect that up bite. I'm usually chasing crappies and oftentimes bluegills. So for me, I'm picking something in the noodle rod variety. And there's a bunch of options that clam offers, whether it's the new katana rod, noodle rod, whether it's a straight drop. I mean, there's a noodle rod variation in many different lineups. So depending on the angler's budget, they can go into one of the stores and they can find a new rod that probably fits within their realm of what they wanted to spend. And they're all going to do kind of a similar thing. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some nicer quality ones. And again, it comes down to what you pay for, right? But you can get a great rod nowadays for pretty inexpensive. I'm also running an inline spooler reel. I like that because it forces me to slow down when I fish. So when I have to pull the line up by hand, I'm fishing the entire water column. And a lot of my fishing is done in under, under 20 feet of water. And there's so many times we drop that lure past some of the largest fish in the system because they're sitting on the top 10 feet of the water column versus dropping, oh, flipping that bale on a spinning reel and bombing it down three feet off the bottom. I feel like I'm working that water column. I'm getting some of those aggressive fish that come in from the side. So I'd say that noodle rod, that inline reel, um, whether it's a spooler elite or a spooler, I'm running usually three pound frost monofilament. Uh, I mean, you can do a fluorocarbon, but mono gives you probably the best of all worlds when it comes to ice. It doesn't have the memory as fluorocarbon. It's still abrasion resistant. It has some of the stretch when you're fighting a larger fish near the hole and you can get it in a high vis or a meter or a clear. So your color preference can be 
sometimes in your head, but sure, go ahead and pick what you need for your confidence. And then like I said, like on the end, I'm going to put that 32nd ounce uh, Pinhead Pro, usually in a gold pattern of some type to start off. And then from there, I let my Vexlar tell me what these fish want, and I go after it. Very nice. So I, I have to say, I'm excited to try that new smallest size Pinhead Pro Minnow myself. Can you give me uh, some tips on like jigging cadence with that? Let's say, um, you know, when the fish are aggressive versus when they're a little bit less aggressive too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I fish pretty aggressive by nature. You know, I want that thing to snap. I feel like I'm trying to get an impulse bite out of fish, even if they're negative. So I'm working that rod tip pretty fast. I got a lot of videos on YouTube that if anyone watches them on how I'm fishing a pinhead or pinhead pro, I fish in both. This I fish it the same way I did the pinhead in the past. I'm fairly aggressive, and I never stop the lure. I think that's so key. A lot of anglers stop the lure of any type when a fish shows up near their bait. I keep it moving and jigging and dancing, and then I'm watching my rod tip or I'm waiting for something different or an absence of weight. Mm-hmm. So I'm working it pretty aggressively. I want that snap fall. Um, I'm looking for the up bite all the time and I'm feeling for something different uh, where a lot of people want to really finesse these panfish and really kind of just quiver things in their faces. I'm usually not that guy if I don't have to be. So my jigging cadence is probably, I would say, you know, casual to aggressive for most of my pinhead movements. Um, like I said, even on negative pressured fish, I still find that they'll take that bait um, without having to force feed them. Okay. And do, do you like really get that pinhead rocking side to side or is it more of a try to keep it in line motion? You know, the pinhead doesn't really jar out side to side as much as you would think. And then Drew can probably visually attest to that yeah. more because he does all of our underwater content. That thing really doesn't shoot like a flutter spoon. It's no. more, it's a pounding bait. It will blow your mind how straight up and down the, the regular right. pinhead pro will go but what I always look for is when you're jigging a, a pinhead pro or a tikka minnow, you're actually working that treble hook as much as you are the spoon. I mean, we, we always talk about fishing without bait, and that's because, well, ultimately the, the profile of the spoon will draw the fish in, and then it's pretty hard to keep a treble hook from moving. It's dancing. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty near impossible. It's amazing how much fish hone in on the treble hook. Well, number one, the treble hook's on the bottom of the bait. Fish feed up in the winter right. with bluegills and crappies, and they'll just kind of, they'll get up there, they'll sniff it out, and then I think half the time it's out of curiosity. They just, they they try it out, and then next thing you know, they're hooked. Yeah, and there's you that know. flapper blade right down there, yeah. too, that draws some a little bit of flash and attention and maybe a little bit of noise. And I think they're keying in on that and that treble hook. And yeah, yeah the treble hook they hook themselves crazy. sometimes. I mean, I, yeah. I have a hard time even tying on a 16th ounce uh, Tika minnow on without hooking myself. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah, a, I'm guilty there too. To try to sample that red treble. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, I, I think it's something people got to keep in mind that, you know, if fish don't have hands. If they're curious, you know, they got to put it in their mouth. So yeah. We, it's, it's amazing on a lot of the underwater footage where we get fish to eat on camera, always come up. It's bluegills do. They're so notorious for this. They go up to it and they open their mouth. Like they're just flashing their gills a little bit and they'll do that two times. And then they back off. And on the third time they just chow it. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing marks on your Vexlar that come up that won't eat right away. Well, just keep doing what you're doing because the third time he comes around, he will annihilate it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, 
That's the ultimate test of patience there. You feel that little nibble right away and you just want to set the hook, yeah, but just keep it down just a little longer. I promise you they're going to inhale it. <laughs> yep. And at that point, if it's, if it's not working, then I'd maybe switch colors or profiles or maybe we'll do a different hole too. But mm. yeah, it's always, it's always intriguing to see how it works underwater. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right. Same question. But switch gears from panfish to walleye. You want that one, Drew? All right. So walleye, I will typically early season, I would definitely be setting up on like an evening type prime time deal. I wouldn't go out on, you know, a Malax or something right away and expect to smash a midday. I guess on a Red Lake or Lake of the Woods, yeah, because it's a day bite. But so typically if it's like a nighttime evening deal, I'm going to set up on a break line. Most likely I want to have two rods going. So one of them being a tip up, maybe with a, a shiner minnow down there or whatever you can get your hands on. And then in the other hand, I'm going to have a rod jigging, probably a, maybe a medium light katana rod with our clam has a, we have a Tatsumi reel. It's pretty sweet. I run like four to six pound mono. Like Matt was saying earlier, mono is pretty easy to work with it. I'm not a big fan of braid personally, just because it, it really ices up on your rod mm -hmm. tip more than you think. Mm -hmm. I was just at the boat last weekend and gosh, I had a nightmare trying to use my bass rods when it was like 28 degrees out because the braid was just freezing on me. But uh, back to ice fishing. So then I'm, I'm going to be bouncing around on the brake line. I'll probably have a jigging spoon on either a bigger pinhead or even like a, a ribbon leech is a good one. It really tries to, it draws the fish in a lot of flash, a lot of flare. And I'll probably work those two. I'll have the tip up probably on the top side of the break. I personally like putting them up there because I feel mm -hmm. like an aggressive fish is going to see a shiner minnow up shallow and just annihilate it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be just bouncing around that break line with the jigging spoon until I can uh, figure out what's happening. And if that's not working, then I'll probably either downsize the spoon a little bit or just completely move to a different area. Yeah, um, you're, in my question, you'd have to move to a different area because you can only have one setup. Yeah, <laughs> only one setup. Wow, well, I'm gonna get more friends out there with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, so. Honestly, though, I would have I wouldn't go out walleye fishing by myself early season and feel you know super confident and covering a lot of area by myself. I'd definitely get a couple buddies out there, you know, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Cover more so you you mentioned that that ribbon spoon is is that a new one for for clam this year? Or is it last year it came out the okay. ribbon leech flutter spoon. Okay, I have never used that bait before. Can you talk to me a little bit about it? Where it shines? Yeah. It's like a it's like a wider profiled spoon. When you drop it down, especially the first between zero and like twenty feet down, it it turns sideways and it has like a really big sweeping action to it. So when you rip it up and just let it drop on slack line, that sucker will dance. Okay. And it's got like a big flapper spoon on the bottom, so it really draws in any any bait fish in the area. I mean, I've seen back to the underwater thing. I've seen just monster schools of perch just roll in because perch are curious, you know. So it really gets the fish's attention, and then next thing you know, the walleyes will follow. It's a true flutter spoon. Okay, nice. And then yeah. so so how do you use it in like your normal jigging cadence? Say you're down to like that bottom foot and you're you're jigging for walleyes. What are you doing then? I'm 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 dancing this sucker. Like I'll rip it up a foot or two and let it fall all the way to the bottom, but then I'll bounce in the mud a little bit, especially when I don't when I'm not marking the fish. If I'm marking the fish, then yeah, I'll slow it down a little bit so the fish can actually eat it, but in general it's like a reaction type mm -hmm. spoon. 
unlike the pinhead we were talking about earlier, yeah, we can bounce that sucker up and down, but it's the pinhead's staying right in the same spot. Not a ton of action. Yeah, this ribbon lead, I mean, I've dropped it down in 25 feet, and this ribbon lead should be 15 feet out to the side of my hole. Okay. So you want to mark it. You have to work it back to under your <laughs> hole where you can actually mark things. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find you get a decent amount of bites when nothing's showing on your flasher? Uh, I mean, typically, just because I can actually present the spoon better for them, I'll get more bites right underneath the hole when I can see the spoon on my flasher. But there's no doubt. I've had underwater footage <laughs> in some pretty clear water where this spoon has been like 20 feet away, and I've seen actually big bluegills just come up and chase this thing so like even if you're not marking them underneath your hole it's almost like open water just you have to imagine that you know you're dropping your jig on top of a fish that's going to eat it and yeah. fish it i almost bounce it on its way back to my hole off the bottom okay interesting well, th- well nice thanks a lot. Show. Now you've uh, now you got to make me go to Shields and go buy some new lures again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter what color you have either, as long as it's Wonder Bread. <laughs> as long as it's Wonder Bread, you know, I have developed quite a liking to that Wonder Bread color myself. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. everyone has, and that spoon too. It's nice because it's a bigger profile, but it lays less. So, like when a fish comes to eat it, a lot of times you got a bigger profile bait. The fish feels that right. They don't feel it because it's lightweight. So, like, I use them a lot for, like, channel cats through the ice because they bite so light and they're intrigued by what they see. So now when they come up to that spoon, I, the spoon looks kind of gaudy, but it's it weighs nothing. Okay. So they come up there and they grab it and it just kind of swings into their mouth. So it, it has multiple advantages. Nice. Okay, well, now you brought up a new topic, channel cats. So I have never fished catfish through the ice why why do you have a soft spot for channel cats through the ice well i've been guiding them for 22 years and and i started fishing them a long time ago and uh well my soft spot is they're actually challenging i mean they bite like a crappie they bite just like a finesse up biting crappie they don't just come up and thump it Uh, that's usually a rare hit and everyone always assumes that catfish in general just are bottom feeders and they eat garbage. No, they're the alpha predator in some of these systems. I mean, they're eating bluegills and perch and, uh, excuse me, crappies and shiners and everything else. And, uh, and, and so, they're, so they're challenging. They can be plentiful. They fight extremely hard. I mean, every channel cat takes minutes to land, mm-hmm. uh, even when you're targeting them. Like I use like dead meat rods. So it's like a, a, a game fish, you know, dead stick right it's got that quick tip hard backbone you know four or five pound test line so they're challenging they fight hard uh, and and also they it's my favorite thing to eat in the winter time okay i was that was going to be my next question is, is how do they taste they're uh, in the summer i'll eat them i don't love them in the winter i'll take it over a walleye really it's just a very clean white meat in the winter time it's totally different than it is in the summertime um, you cook them hot, you cook them fast in some Cajun batter, and it's wonderful. So, you know, they taste good, they fight hard, they're challenging, um, they can be plentiful. Uh, it's a bucket list thing for a lot of people. I mean, I've been doing it 22 years. We've caught thousands of them. I still enjoy hooking a cat every time I do. Um, and we've caught them up to almost 19 pounds through the ice. Oh, that's so wild. you can get some pretty big ones, too. What's the What's the Red River like up there in the winter? Big ones. Yeah, there's large ones. I 
I'm scared of the river nice in the winter, to be honest with you. I yeah. mean, I know there's a lot of people that do it and, and you can get into it, but you know, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question. I know there's I've a lot of people. I've probably seven or 10 times. Um, it's been probably 15 years and you don't catch them under seven, eight pounds. And they're all like 10 to 20 pound channels. Um, we went up there to chase walleyes and we had somebody get a 13 pound, 10 ounce walleye through the ice on the red. But the problem with the red is that it's fluctuating so much now that it's unsafe. I feel like, mm-hmm. and, and well, I know when we fished it, we would punch our hole and then we'd punch our Vexlar hole like 10 feet away just so we could see our lure. That's how fast the current was. And we caught some massive channel cats, but the walleyes were just, they were big and they run, I remember us being like in 13 to 18 feet of water and some of these fish being five feet down. And those were your biggest walleyes. They're just, everything in that system was just high octane, super, super feeder. Um, but yeah, the channel cats, I remember being massive uh, and we'd lose a lot of them because we couldn't handle them in that current. Yeah. <clears throat> huh. So you're telling me that I'm driving way too far to go fishing when there's all these giant fish that are basically oh, yeah. in my backyard. The Red River is <laughs> special, but like I said, I know it can be hairy. And the, every time I've gone up there is with somebody that was local or a guide or somebody that they went through doing because, you know, like on some of these river systems here and, and air, lakes that have current, it changes like every week and it has nothing to do with how cold it is. Um, there's other factors that come into play that can deteriorate ice that can do things. So even in the dead or winter, when you think you should have two feet of ice, you could have nothing. So I think that's part of the reason some of those rivers just don't get the pressure is because people are leery of, of it's a safety thing, right? And yep. the fear of the unknown. And, and when you got current under ice, I mean, it'll, um, it'll make everyone think twice for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely have to have a respect when you're fishing stuff with current like that, especially when it's moving that fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, close this thing out. I want to hear some stories from you guys. I want to hear each of your stories about the one that got away. You got this has to stay ice fishing, ice fishing. Okay. You know, if, if you have just an amazing story, open water, I'll let it slide, but at least one of these two needs to be ice fishing. The one that got away. Uh, well, I've never missed a fish. So oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> never, never All right. Well, I got the right person on this podcast then. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to tell my open water one cause it'll make my son cry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I had an ice fishing one and it actually was, it actually was, um, catfish related. Uh, I was on a really big catfish bite. Um, actually last year where I, we saw, we had some bigger fish coming into play and I brought a kid out with us. Um, he was in eighth grade and he had never caught a cat and he caught a couple. And then he hooked up to one that I think was one of the big ones, big, big ones, fought it for 25 minutes and it came off. So he had a 25 minute battle through the ice to only lose a fish. To me, I've never had that happen. And um, that long of a fight and have lost it. Uh, he was pretty heartbroken and I know it was one of those giant cats. So, you know, it's one thing to happen to me, but when it happens to a client or a good friend, let alone, you know, a 13 year old, those are moments you're like, Oh man. But I'll tell you what, he did everything right. It, it, the fish just got the best of him that day. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. I have one. It, it wasn't 
Well, it almost counts as one that got away. But last year we were out on Lake Cascade, and my goal was to get – I wanted a giant Lake Cascade perch to eat. It was actually a ribbon leech underwater. And we so we're out there, and the bite was actually pretty tough for our crew that day or even that week in general, and we weren't really seeing that many fish. And it's, a, it's kind of a lot of work to set up an underwater camera and try to fish in a hole right next to it because, I mean, you got to make sure that thing's pointing the right direction, recording, you're on the ice, you're renting snowmobiles. Like, a lot goes into it, and I'm sitting there just jigging. I'm just rolling the camera. I haven't caught anything here, and all of a sudden, these two absolute blimps come into screen. And I'm like, are those even perch? Like, I thought they were, like, carp or something right away because like, I've never seen a perch that tall and that round before. And I'm sitting there jigging, and the one actually tried to eat the ribbon leech, and he <laughs> missed it. I'm like, oh, my God. So I, like, get back down there. Other one takes a swipe at it. hits the top right by where the little uh, – where I tie my line onto that little uh, – that hook deal, and he misses it. And next thing I know, the two fish are gone, and there goes my – whole winter <laughs> trying to get a late cascade perch to eat on camera oh, <laughs> that was the last man. opportunity i had did you have a did you have that camera on record so you actually have the oh, footage yeah. yes i've seen the footage yeah it's heartbreaking they look like little tigers they're big <laughs> dang i'm gonna have to check that out <laughs> oh love it yeah i i have one that comes to mind too it was uh i was a lot younger it was it was back when i was fishing with my parents we were up at lake of the woods and I had, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to see my dad pull an 11 pound, four ounce walleye through the ice. And that's not the one that got away though. That one's on our wall. Um, my mom, the following year in, you know, in a reef really close to where he caught his ended up setting the hook on one and couldn't move it off the bottom and got like two reels in and it got off. And then we were all bummed out. So she dropped right back down. Sure enough, it had to have been the same fish. Hooked it again and fought this thing for probably five minutes before we got a look at it. And then all of a sudden we get it to the top. And it's, it's you know, like right at, you know, sunset. So you can see down there pretty decent. And this fish swam right under the ice. And I don't know how big it was exactly but i saw my you know i saw my dad pull an 11 pounder out and it was it was that size if not bigger and it swam by a second time and my mom tried to pull it up through the ice and then it hit the corner and spit the lure and that was probably the most disheartening thing ever it's always crazy that you never you shouldn't really have a fish pop off if you get a decent hook set until it gets right underneath the hole because that <laughs> mm-hmm. hook gets stuck on the side of the hole, you know? Yep, that and, and that was exactly what happened. One of those treble hooks caught the corner of the hole yeah. and it was game over from there. It was just oh it it always happens. It gets off during just the absolute yeah. peak of, of excitement. <laughs> It's like a Lake of the Woods pike thing, too. A couple of years ago, God, that was the only spot where you'd lose them is right at the hole, you know, especially when you're using two treble hooks because the one will hit, the one will be stuck in the pike and then the other one will just be flying around and one pass beneath the hole and that if that loose treble gets caught on there, oofta, you're in for a world of hooks popping out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right, well. Matt, Drew, appreciate your time. Um, you know, what What can we expect from uh, you guys in the ice team for the rest of the winter? 
Well, a lot more podcasts as we t- started off. Uh, still some shows left, a lot of content. Uh, we're going to be content heavy, a lot of video stuff. And then hopefully here in the near future, just a whole ton of ice fishing, which is yeah, is ultimately what we all want to do. So I would say follow us on social media. You're going to see a lot of good content coming down the pipeline, and we always love feedback. So if anyone has any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, just fire in our direction. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be on the ice here shortly. All right. Perfect. Again, well, thank you for your time and, uh, you know, best of luck this ice season. Likewise. You just heard our segment with ice team members and podcast hosts, Matt Johnson and Drew Aspinwall. Make sure to be following ice team social channels and check out their new podcasts. We have links to those in the description of this episode. And if you need any ice fishing gear, make sure to stop by your local Shields store or visit us online at shields.com. Get yourself ready for ice fishing. And with that, I'd like to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.